You are listening to UBC Waco Podcast. <laughs> are you recording? Yeah. Oh, okay. We can use that as just a scratch track for now. No. Week here at UBC, we had Carol's Cocktails and Cookies last weekend. Um, I did karaoke for the first time since around 21. Um, it was painful, um, but I love a captive audience. Uh, and then on Thursday, we had the Liturgy of Mourning. And if you have not been to one of our special liturgies, uh, let me just give you the 30-second the plug. Um, it's about 30 minutes, and it celebrates different uh, realities of this life. Uh, the Liturgy of Mourning, um, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, Mourning, um, was an opportunity to recognize that in the midst of this holiday season, Uh, There can also be tremendous grief. There can be experiences of loss, whether that loss is the loss of a loved one or the loss of a relationship, um, whatever you're facing. And we just had some time to process that together, and it was just very, very beautiful. So um, I'm sure there will be more uh, of these special liturgies throughout the year, and I would invite you uh, to pick one and come as you're able. So that's my that's my plug. So let me ask you this this morning as we get started. What comes to your mind when you hear the word peace? What definition makes sense to you? What images? There's the traditional icons, the dove, an olive branch, peace signs in all their forms. Is peace the absence of conflict? Is it the absence of anxiety? Is it the absence of war? Our passage today is the very beginning of Mark's gospel, the first handful of verses. Mark starts his story with a messenger, a harbinger of peace. He disrupts societal norms. He calls people to repent in the wilderness. It is quite a choice that Mark made to start his gospel with a wild man in camel's hair. If I were Mark, I don't know how willing I would have been to write about John the Baptizer straight out of the gate, especially without any context whatsoever. Uh, But thankfully, we have the option to look into the books of Isaiah, our Old Testament passage today, and the Gospel of Luke for that. Luke writes, In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. His wife was descended from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both of them are righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord, but they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and both were getting on in years. Luke goes on to explain that while Zechariah was serving in the temple, an angel of the Lord appeared to him and spoke of a son that was to be. Luke 1, 13 through 17 says, the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will name him John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He must never drink wine or strong drink. Even before his birth, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord, their God. With the spirit and power of Elijah, he will go before him to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. 
And Zechariah responded with, I am so excited. No, that's not true at all. He actually responded like many of us would. And he said, uh, I'm just wondering how I know for sure this is actually going to happen. Now, it makes me really sad because a lot of people find Zechariah's response to be disobedient or lacking faith, and I find that interpretation very hollow. Um, Here's why. First of all, uh, if you haven't read the description of an angel in the book of Ezekiel, um, please do yourself a favor and do that today. Uh, Not tonight, because that whole mess will give you nightmares. Second, Can you imagine standing in the presence of an angel, terrifying or not, realizing that it was some sort of divine whatever, hearing said divine whatever tell you that the greatest longing of your heart, something that at that point you would have assumed was impossible, was about to happen? Oh my goodness. Uh, Quick poll, where are my pessimists at? All the giggles tell me that you're not all raising your hands. Okay, where are my pessimists who say they're realists but are actually pessimists? (laughs) If I were Zechariah, I would have asked too. And even given a really satisfying answer, I would not relax. I would not sleep. I would not breathe until that longing came into existence as promised. Gabriel, however, didn't seem to have a ton of compassion for Zechariah's plight and his very fragile hope, because this was his response. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. But now, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time, you will become mute, unable to speak until the day these things occur. That is a big yikes situation, if I've ever seen one. And things did unfold, just as Gabriel had said. And John grew up in the wilderness until the day he stepped into his role as the voice calling to the nation of Israel, the voice crying out in the wilderness. I don't want to brush past the significance of our Old Testament passage because what we read in Mark is the fulfillment of a promise made years and years before. But for our purpose on Peace Sunday, we're going to hone in on Mark, specifically his description of John. If there was some guy down at the Brazos clothed in camel's hair, eating crickets, wearing a belt made out of our local alligator, Would you listen to him? Uh, Probably not. And yet here come the people of Jerusalem out to meet John, to hear his declaration that they are in desperate need of repentance, to confess their sins to a total stranger, to be baptized. There are a few observations that we can make about peace as a whole, observations that won't necessarily match the dove or the olive branch. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom. I'm sure you've heard that tossed around. It is so much more expansive than we give it credit for. It translates to include wholeness, completeness, prosperity, safety, well-being, 
goodwill, salvation. And that is the goal. That is both the way and the will of the kingdom. Peace comes to us through Christ, and Christ was made known by John. John was an unlikely source. Um, Have you smelled a camel? I have. I would not want to wear a camel. John is a chaotic force. He, through an angelic proclamation, joins the ranks of biblical people like Isaac and Jesus. John was telling people both what they did and did not want to hear. Advent is all about the wait. It is about the here and the not yet, the light breaking into the darkness, and it is a time of contradictions. Restored, but still broken. Powerful and powerless. Cosmic and self-emptying. There are things that are incongruent as we prepare our hearts for the advent, for the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. Peace is no exception to the rule. Peace is not necessarily what we want it to be. It requires something of us. It requires disruption. It needs a little chaos. John's voice pierced through the air. He called for a change. He declared something good was coming. He rejected notoriety and he yielded to the one who would come after him, his cousin, Jesus. Peace requires bravery. It took immense courage for John to step into this role that was spoken over him before he even existed. I wonder what it felt like to grow up under that mantle. I wonder if it gave him a sense of comfort to know his life had been planned or if he felt suffocated by that thought. John functioned much like a prophet. He saw what was happening in his day and he interpreted it. He spoke to it. And that doesn't usually make somebody very popular. Throughout the Old Testament, prophets who saw what was happening in their midst and spoke out against it were hated and killed. John's calls to repent by nature implied that his people were somehow doing something wrong. Again, that is not the way to make friends. It took immense courage for people to hear John's words and to respond. It's just so easy to pretend that we have things figured out. It took courage to sense a stirring and to be curious, to journey into a wild, into a place that was uncharted for them in the hopes of finding something good and beautiful and meaningful and divine, question mark. Peace requires presence. It was in community that John found his purpose and it was in responding together that the community was pointed onto their path. Peace is not simply the absence of conflict or anxiety. It is a force of nature, and it dislodges systems of oppression and privilege. It surprises and disorients us, it grows us, and it heals us, and invites us to compassionately care for those who are in need of a new way 
of existing in this world. Peace is found in the unexpected, in the call of the son of a temporarily silenced father, and the one who comes after him in the courageous re-engagement in community when risk is involved, where you've been hurt before. Peace is found in speaking out against harmful practices that leave others or ourselves broken and bleeding. Peace is found in camel's hair and leather belts and locusts and wild honey, and it is found where it is least expected because peace is resilient and it is expansive. Peace, and I'm so sorry to say this, is hard work. Peace is found when we are actively seeking the flourishing of all, the well-being and the safety and the wholeness and prosperity and salvation of all. The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I've baptized you with waters, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit who empowers us to brave the wilderness, to encounter the divine. Peace is one of the evidences, one of the fruits of the presence of the Spirit, but it does not show up without our participation or growth or invitation. And I'm going to assume that growth is as hard for you as it is for me. Peace is hard work. Nothing about Jesus' arrival, participation, life, Death or resurrection was what anyone expected. So why would peace not follow that same suit? Jesus' front runner, John, preached a message of shalom. He preached a message of wholeness for those who came to the wilderness and for those who didn't. And if we want to step into that ourselves, if we want to recognize that John's call to peace is part of the work of the Spirit in our midst. We have to let her do that. We have to open ourselves up to that same kind of correction and healing, and we have to open ourselves up to seeing things through the lens of the kingdom, the will and the way of peace. And it's uncomfortable and it's unpleasant, uh, but it means recognizing how our behavior and how our privilege hurts others in both small and global ways. We have to work to step out of these harmful patterns of oppression. It means keeping our eyes open, bearing witness to the pain of war and genocide and hunger, abuse that is experienced throughout our world, and then calling for it to end intervening when we see or hear hateful actions or speech, even if that's at our Christmas tables. We have the honor of choosing to be active in making peace because keeping peace is not disruptive enough. Peace in the kingdom is active and it requires a response. UBC, may we hear and heed the voice calling in our wilderness. May we have the courage to recognize our ongoing need for repentance and for resurrection. May we work for shalom.
for wholeness for everyone we meet and those who we never will, especially for those who are unable to work for it themselves. Peace is a gift and peace is an assignment and we get to choose what we do with that. We have this uh, beautiful practice where we sit together, take some space to uh, reflect on what we've heard, uh, allow the spirits to move us uh, in a direction, perhaps correct something I've said incorrectly. And as we do that, may we enter into that in a spirit of peace.